Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. What is up? Welcome back to the Team Building Podcast. We're sharing another blast from the past episode. Jeff is insanely busy traveling and getting ready for the Team Building Summit and all the fun things that are going on within ERS. So I wanted to share a conversation that we had way back when. This is in the first, I think, year and a half of the Team Building Podcast. So you probably missed it. But we're talking about Jeff's biggest mistakes over the previous 10 years. And I'm always fascinated by people that are really successful in what they would do differently knowing what they know now. Because there's a lot of mistakes that you can avoid just by listening to people who've been down the same road road that you want to go down. So in this particular episode, we talked about when you're scaling up, how many direct reports should you have underneath you, um, how you're actually might be making your business less valuable by working and spending more time within the business. Uh, how do you know when to say, okay, to get out of selling and taking listings personally? You know, What's the power and why should you spend the time coming up with a business plan? There's some really amazing content in this conversation that I wanted to get out again and put it back in front of you because a lot of you have started listening to the show way after this episode was recorded. And I don't think we've done anything like it since then. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, make sure to go to the website and, and stay up to date on all the workshops and the events and the summit and all the stuff that we have going on that can really, really help you propel you forward in your team building and leadership career within real estate. Uh, and thanks so much as always for you know, rating and reviewing the show. We appreciate it. We read every single one. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump into this blast from the past episode with Jeff. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Team Building Podcast. I am Matt Johnson. I've got Jeff Cohn with me, and it's just the two of us. We are Sam's guest today. So we're going to have a fun, fun discussion. First of all, it's been a while, I think. It's been like three or four weeks since we've been on the podcast. I miss you, man. Hey, Matt. What's going on, man? I'm super pumped. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun topic. A lot of high Ds, successful guys, successful realtors want to get on and brag about all the things they've done right. We thought it'd be interesting to get on today and humbly share all of the mistakes I've made so everybody that's part of our live stream coaching product can interact together and network. And to me, that's one of the greatest values of being either coming to a workshop or coming on board with our live stream product is having access to all those other agents going through all the same things that you guys are going through. And I know it's really important to our success coaches when people go through challenges, instead of us just answering the questions, we'll oftentimes pair them with another agent, maybe that has just overcome that same challenge. And so we'll put you in contact with the people that can answer your questions. We'll answer them as well the best we can. But sometimes mm -hmm. it's nice to have somebody else that's going through the same thing. Yeah, ag agree, which kind of leads us into uh, one of the mistakes we wanted to talk about today, which was just, you know, you you went out and, and you mentioned that you started to go out and tour some of the offices of people around the country. But that wasn't where you started. You started by attempting to do that in your local market and you got summarily bitch slapped, uh, essentially, by, by yeah. the local agents. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I got licensed in 2006. Um, I just graduated from college. I spent two years on a mission trip in Brazil. And then three years, I finished with a, got an undergrad degree in business and graduated in 06. And I got my license in November. And my goal was to be, you know, the best individual agent that I could possibly be within 12 months. I needed to provide for my family, which at the time was my wife and a one-year-old little girl. And so I started consuming as much content as I could, um, listening to podcasts, reading books, 
and networking with agents in my own market. And so my thought was, hey, I'm going to reach out to the top 10 agents. Everyone's going to be willing to have lunch with me. I'm going to pay for lunch and I'm going to ask them questions about how they build their business. And so I picked the top 10 people that I thought I wanted to be like when I grew up and that were having a lot of success in real estate. I would say over half told me they wouldn't meet with me. And I was a brand new agent. There was no threat. 24-year-old kid, brand new on the street. Who am I? And half of them didn't have time for me. And then the ones that did, um, didn't have a lot of advice for me. And at the time, I took it as if they weren't being transparent, like they had something they were hiding. What I've discovered 10 years later is that they had nothing to offer. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that's harsh, but they were, they're great individual agents. The ones that are still living are great individual agents. (laughs) The ones who are still living. (laughs) Well, now we know how Jeff built his team. He systematically eliminated the competition. And now we've proven for the people that have come out or have joined live stream, they are getting the results that we're getting. And just so the, the listeners know, to date, we're at six, over 600 unit sales, $120 million in volume, and $2.5 million in gross commission income. We expect to end the year over 800 sales, $150 million in volume, and about $3.5 million, making us the number one team at Berkshire Hathaway in the entire world. So we're having a lot of great results, but there's no magic pill. Like If people come out to the workshop, they're like, wow, I expected more. Like They're not disappointed. But they expected there was going to be like all these secrets that have never been discussed. And like you and I've talked about, really, it's just the accumulation of everything that you, that's already out there spinning around. But there's so many messages from so many people. We've taken it all and packaged it together in a nice A to Z process of how somebody can scale their business to whatever level they choose to scale it to. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, and so just getting back to the, the mistake. Um, so going out and it, essentially you tried to you started off trying to like mastermind and network with people and yep. you by accident chose the wrong people, but right. Um, you did get it right. Eventually. Now you, you started going around touring offices around the country and stuff like that. So, I mean, the sounds like the biggest mistake on that was number one, you, you chose the wrong people locally, uh, and they didn't have anything of value to offer. And then it took you a little bit longer than you would have liked to figure out, Hey, I need to go around and just start touring offices around the country. Yeah. I didn't know I could play, as big as I'm playing today, Matt. I mean, when people say, did you ever think you'd be where you are? No, I never, ever believed I'd be where I was but today. Jeff, now, you, what about the power of positive thinking? Right? <laughs> but you have these moments, you have these moments as a kid, right? In, in an okay. immature mind where you think you're going to be successful, whatever that successful picture is in your mind, maybe based on movies you've seen or people that you've associated with or people you know that are successful. I never thought I would be where I am today. But what I'm most excited about isn't necessarily the money I make, which I make great money. It's the power I have now to influence others because of a system that I've built, because of Mm -hmm. what we're providing from a value standpoint, not only in my residential real estate business, but in all these other businesses that I own. That to me is the highest level of success where you can then empower others to be successful doing the exact same thing you did. And so to yeah. anyone listening, when, when I talk success, obviously money is a part of it for whatever reason in our world. Money is one of the ways we kind of track if someone's successful or not. There's a lot of other ways to be successful outside of money. But for me, I needed to provide for my family. I wanted to have nice things. I wanted to pay for college education. I wanted to, I, I give a lot of money charitably to my church and to other organizations. To me, that was important. But the highest level of success to me is empowering others to be able to achieve at a high level. And so I wanted to build a real estate team that was going to allow me to do it. My biggest mistake, Matt, was after not really finding the value from the agents in my own local market, I assumed the value didn't exist anywhere. So I I decided to connect the dots of, oh, there's no value here. It doesn't exist. No one has built this thing that I... I didn't even know I wanted to build a huge team. I just knew I wanted to sell a lot of houses and generate a lot of wealth for my family. 
And so my mistake yeah, so was, was I, out there. You just didn't know. You, oh, you basically stopped looking. I stopped looking. I assumed it wasn't there, right? So I went from 2007, having what, we call, what I call informational interviews with top agents in my own lo- local marketplace, to 2011. And so from 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, about five years, I was an individual full-time agent. So unlike a lot of coaches in the industry, I'd say most, I sold real estate for five years at a high level. I, my last year, I was doing 80 transactions by myself. I had um, a, one transaction coordinator, no, no buyer's agents or anything. I sold real estate full time. That was my job. I made a couple hundred thousand dollars a year towards the end. And we'll talk about some more mistakes that I made. But one of my biggest mistakes was that after my first year, I made $96,000 net in 2007. I should have spent a third of that income and visited the top five teams in the country. But I didn't know they existed. And one of the dysfunctions was I was working within a local brokerage. I had no exposure to national agents. I didn't know teams existed nationally. I didn't know who to reach out to. I wasn't part of a network that plugged me in. And I'm sure there was co- were co- coaching organizations. I wasn't exposed to them. I kept my head down and I just made prospecting calls and grinded it out. Like how all the other people I met with told me to do it. Mm-hmm. But I waited too long. I went five years with that. Had I gone two years, I knew enough to lead a team after two years. In 2009, I should have launched my team. And I waited till the end of 2011. So I was mm-hmm. three years late. And obviously, I learned a lot. But I, I got to a yeah. point where I was on. I was unhappy because I was just yeah, doing... that was the, the catalyst. I think. Yep. Yeah. That's what that was the catalyst. So that can lead us to our next dysfunction, which was yeah. time. Yeah. So one of the things Matt and I talked about before we jumped on this was I have this feeling that I put too much of my time and energy into my business. And if you read the book, Gary Keller wrote The One Thing. Matt and I both read it. It's a great book. If you haven't heard about it, um, he talks about how you want to... Um, oh, what's the word, Matt? You want to have the... You don't need to necessarily put the same amount of time into everything to have yeah, it's not, a it's well-rounded... Not your amount of time. It's, it's counterbalancing. Yes, exactly. So... Um, what that point that Gary's making is that a lot of people say to have a balanced life, you have to have the exact same amount of time in every category, which is not the case. My issue was I had all of my time and energy and focus. My entire being was being successful in my business. And I had like a really heightened level of desire because I was trying to care for this family I was responsible for. My wife was a stay at home mom, wasn't bringing in income. And now to be honest with our audience, I didn't come from a a situation where if I didn't provide, we were going to be on the streets. I mean, my worst case scenario I joke about was having to live in my parents' basement. (laughs) But imagine how much your spouse would want to live in their their in-laws' basement. So that still was like a worst case for me. I'm like, I'm not living in the freaking basement. (laughs) But that was like my worst case. So I don't come from a world where I'm going to be on the streets if I don't make it. But I still, I didn't want just the average, an average life. I wanted to live life at its fullest and have the ability to do a lot of things. And so I had this heightened level of desire to be successful. So I sacrificed a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of resources to be successful. I'd say I worked 70 or 80 hours a week. I missed a lot of things in my kids when my kids were growing up. I missed time with my wife that I could have helped build our relationship. I missed nights putting the kids to bed. I mean, there are a lot of these little things that now when I look back, my kids are 12, 10, 8. When they were six, four, two, or when they were four, two, baby, I was working. I was, my whole world was work and it wasn't really great quality time. And I was a kid. I mean, 26 year old kid, 27 year old kid. A lot of people don't get married till they're in their thirties, having babies in their late thirties. And I was experiencing all that at a very young age, which was part of the heightened sense of wanting to build a successful business. Um, and it wasn't until 2011 where I was feeling the pain and really kind of having regrets that I missed out on some things that I said, you know what? I need to do this a different way. There's got to be a better way because I did not want to spend the rest of my life. January 1st, 
Um, it was January 1st of 2011. I had just made like $300,000. But I know exactly what I had to do. And a lot of you out there, this will resonate with you. If you made 50 grand or 500 grand, you knew what you have to do. You know now, this year and next year, if, you're not, if you don't have a team and you're not leveraged, you know what you have to do to do it again. And it, it was like the heaviest weight I had ever felt when I woke up January 1st, 2011. I knew what I was going to have to sacrifice. I was fine working. I'm fine giving it all to work. But I knew what I was going to miss out on by doing that. And I thought to myself, I have to do this a different way. And that's when I decided to start researching real estate teams. And so our first step was joining a huge bo- a network through Boomtown. Now, it can be whatever network you want to join. We were at a local company, so there wasn't no network I could plug into nationally within my real estate brokerage. So I created a network through being part of Boomtown CRM. And I started visiting top teams within the Boomtown CRM all across the country. And some of you may have heard of like Amanda Howard, <clears throat> um, Hinton Dillard at the time. Hinton's now passed away. Chip Collins. I mean, the list goes on and on. I've met with um, tons of people all over the U.S. I've, I've been over to over 100 offices now. Um, over the last five years, yeah, but in that time, it was like 40 or 50. Yep. And that initial like 18 months, it was our whole life. Like me yeah. and my, one of my direct reports, our operations manager, Kevin, who's been with me the entire, the entire time as we built out the team, he and I just started visiting people. And we would fly into like Louisville, Kentucky and visit six offices in two days. And they would just be these like super intense action packed trips. And what we learned and discovered very quickly is that the people that were performing at a really high level, and I'm not calling out the people who I actually named, they weren't doing anything special. Just like I had said, when you come into my workshop, what they were doing is they were being consistent. They were creating mm-hmm. leads. They were training their agents. They were being, they were hiring slow and firing fast. They were, they were having team huddles. You know, they were empowering their agents with technology, like all these things that we all know. Yeah, of course, I already know that. But how many of us have a systematic approach to actually doing it? Yeah. Most of us don't. And, and, and Matt, you and I interview agents. This is our livelihood now. Mm-hmm. Most agents, 99%. I have no system. If, if they say yeah. to me, their goal next year is to sell 200 houses, I'll say, how are you going to do it? Grind it out. Yep. Grind it out, baby. <laughs> like, there's no plan. And that's not a business plan. And unfortunately, no, totally. that was my business plan for five years. Yeah. So that was a that was a huge dysfunction. Yeah, so, she'd been there this, before. Yep. Yep. I would say the next thing after that, um, when, what one of the things I took away that I didn't fully understand when I was interviewing people in my own local market I was expecting they were going to give me advice on how to generate leads. What everyone said to me, the number one pattern I saw in my interviews was that I should invest in residential real estate. Mm. So imagine it was 2006, 2007, right before the, the fall. And these agents had seen homes double, if not triple in Omaha, which is a very you know traditional 3% yeah. appreciation year. They saw homes double in 10 years. So their advice to me was, man, as soon as you can start investing in residential real estate. I didn't want to know that. I didn't have the money. At the time, you know, I didn't know how to create that, that ability, but it's interesting now in retrospect, looking back at 2007, 2008, 2009, had I taken a third of my income and bought 10 houses or 15 houses, those homes today are double the value in our market. I could have bought them crazy low and now we're in this super heightened seller's market in 2017. So it's all hindsight, but now I own a business. We've bought 30 doors this year that we're holding. We've bought 20 doors that we're flipping. And I have an acquisition business that I own because I understand it now. I'm mm-hmm. still young enough that on a 20-year note, at 55 years old, all the rentals I'm acquiring today will be paid off. So at 55 with 100 houses, you guys do the math at $1,000 a month cash flow. It ends up being over a million dollars a year. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm very intentional now about investing in res- residential real estate. 
one of my mistakes was that I didn't heed that advice sooner. What I did do right was instead of investing in residential real estate, I invested in my real estate team. Right. So a lot of my disposable income went into me building the team and failing forward all over the place. Hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. of failure. But if you can choose to learn from those failed lessons, that is a lesson in and of itself and worth every penny lost. So every time I spent money yeah. on a lead source and it didn't well, make me money. Really what happened is you, you built a, you, you spent the money, well, spent is a bad word. You invested the money to figure out the best system to generate leads for your team. The team is now the flywheel that gives you the spins off hundreds right. of thousands of dollars of cash that now you put into the investing side. So you're, you're just, you could have done it a little bit differently. You could have gotten into investing sooner, but if it took away from you figuring out the lead generation system for your team, then mm, right. I don't know if I'd trade that off. I know. I agree. There were things I invested in though, in all fairness, that didn't play. Like I've never made money in the stock market. I don't mm -hmm. know if I've invested with the wrong people, but I continually to lose. I lose, and I always contribute. Like <clears throat> last year, I think I put seventy thousand dollars into my SEP IRA, sixty-five thousand, whatever the limit was, and I still haven't done great. And everyone's like, "Oh, the market's up right now; it's doing great." Yeah, not my stuff. Um, I invest. <laughs> I invested in like Greek shipping companies, and all of that is based on like oil costs. If oil costs are high, then the shipping companies make a ton of money, and I still haven't okay. made my money on that. Point being. <laughs> Invest in stuff you understand. I own ships literally in Greece, like billion dollar ships in Greece, in Greece. Oh, tiny little percentages. Yeah. I own like yeah. three steel panels on this yeah, side. Exactly. Of the <laughs> you own one instead of the of, Instead of buying a bunk room in, uh -huh. in the ship in Greece, I could have yeah. bought a house in my back freaking yard. And yeah. I'm a realtor. So I see the deals. I, I mean, I've represented probably over a hundred purchases with investors. I could have bought all those houses myself. <laughs> it's un, it's insane, man. That like agents oh, would like. Why would you invest in the market, stock market, or anything mm -hmm. else? When if you're a residential realtor, how do you invest it into something that doesn't require you going out and doing something? So that yeah. flywheel, I still have to go in the office and flip that wheel, and I do trainings and I do team meetings, and I'm holding everyone accountable, and I'm providing a lot of oversight as the CEO. When you buy a residential home that's managed by someone else, you never think about anything. You give them approval to fix stuff and they worry about the tenants. They pick up the money. I've been doing really well on that. And so stocks are supposed to do the same thing if they're performing well. You sleep at night, you invest in an index fund like Tony Robbins says to do. And that thing's making you money over 30 years. It's supposed to what, double or triple? I don't know. It's supposed to do really well. So like the law of tens or something. I don't know. Yeah. So... You know, I think about this a lot with agents. I'll ask a lot of really highly successful people, not only realtors, I'll get around in these social circles. And one of the conversation I enjoy having is how do you invest your disposable income? Nine out of 10 people I ask that question to do not have a plan to invest their disposable income. All they've done is continue to reinvest in their business. And yeah. while that's great, if that business and that flywheel is continuing to grow, what happens if that business goes away one day? What if yeah. it, like the book, Who Moved My Cheese or Who Moved the Cheese? The cheese literally moved, but all the mice kept going back to the same place thinking the cheese was going to come back. I think that we're going to see the greatest change we've ever experienced in, in society when it comes to economics over the next 10 years due to technology, drone technology, shipping companies. You know, We're going to see a lot of change. And I think lots of cheese is going to move. We need to be willing to be prepared to move with it. So what do you own, listener? What do you have that's going to generate revenue to you if your real estate business doesn't work out? Or 
whatever other business you own doesn't work out, what kind of revenue do you have coming in? That kind of starts to be a really scary conversation. So mm-hmm. that's always what I talk about, Matt, when I just have met somebody. That's yeah, the conversation exactly. I bring up. <laughs> Screwed. You just keep reinvesting in your business? Doom and gloom, baby. Oh my God, that's funny. Partnering with other people to run your real estate team, which is what gives you the freedom to be more focused on oversight yeah. than actually digging into the trenches every day. Yep, yep. This was another dysfunction. So Robert, or not Robert, um, the one thing was a book I read about four years ago and a good friend of mine, Tim Heil, who's with Keller Williams, invited me to attend a conference that Gary Keller was putting on in Austin, Texas. Gary started Keller Williams. Mm-hmm. He's one of the partners that started Keller Williams. And at the conference, there was only about 50 people in a room with Gary Keller all day. Two days, actually, a two-day conference. And one of the things I took away from that conference is he talked about... um, Oh, man, I lost my train of thought for a sec. Oh, yeah, direct reports. So Gary talked about how many direct reports you had running your businesses. And so when you start talking about scaling and leverage, you only can manage so many people under you. And then those people have people under them, and those people have people under them. And I think I remember Gary saying, Matt, I don't know if you were at the same conference or not. I don't think so. But um, he was saying that you want to have five or less direct reports under you for each business. And so with my residential real estate team, I, I had to decide for myself, well, who would those direct reports be? Who could ultimately run the business if I wasn't there? I mean, I'm the CEO, but who could be there for me if I wanted to go off and work on the flipping business or go to Hawaii for a month or whatever? And so what I figured out was my success manager and my operations manager were both capable of running my team based on their personality traits. And so the first person that I had in that position was my ops manager. I I hired him as my marketing director. So I had a TC, transaction coordinator. And then about a year later, two years later, I hired a marketing director, which I wish I had done sooner. He then became an ops manager and he could run everything while I was away. And then we hired a success manager about two years after that that held agents accountable. So ops, ops held the admin accountable and the success manager held the agents accountable. Both could run the team without me being there. And then every, every month, every week, I'm sorry, every week we come together, um, as a management team and have a meeting with just my two direct reports. And then I meet with each of them every week for one hour, answering their questions, addressing any issues that have come up over the last seven days. And so those are the two direct reports that run Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group. Well, I modeled all, I own 12 other businesses and I modeled all of them after that. And so now I don't have to be in the trenches with all these other businesses that I own. People are like, how do you run all these businesses? Well, I don't. I found other people to run all of these other businesses. I just have to make sure there's enough revenue coming into those businesses that I can hire people to run the business for me. So the biggest dysfunction was that I didn't find those people sooner because what those people allowed me to do, I mean, like I shared my story, got licensed in 06, was an individual for five years. In 11, I started to scale. I hired my ops manager, but I didn't really empower him to run the team for another year or two. So I went seven years addicted, attached, embedded, ingrained into the business. It could not operate without me. And as we've talked about in previous um, workshops and podcasts, the more valuable you are to your organization, the less valuable the organization is. The less valuable you are to your organization, the more valuable the organization is because it can run without you, meaning you could sell it and it'll continue to run without your without you. And a lot of teams we interview and we look at and we mentor and we coach over 50% of their sales come from the team leader, mm-hmm. the rock star agent that's selling. And they say, yeah, if I wasn't selling, my business wouldn't, wouldn't grow or it, would, it yeah. wouldn't have even stay above water. Well, no yeah. offense, but that's not a business. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. if you, that's like a bagel it's, it's shop. It's definitely saying, a rock star business. It's a rock star business. It's like, a, it's like if you owned a Starbucks and you were addicted to coffee and drinking tons of coffee, 
Um, if you stopped buying coffee from your own shop, the coffee shop wouldn't be profitable. That's not that's not a business. <laughs> right. Right. So you're buying all the coffee. From so what yourself. you're saying, Jeff, is I shouldn't open a Starbucks. I got you. I understand. Right. Yeah, Matt, that was kind of my subliminal way of yeah, communicating exactly. to you to not open Starbucks. Yeah. Oh, so a, big, a, a big dysfunction was simply just not having those direct reports sooner because what happened was, in, you know, I quit working with buyers, which this is my next dysfunction, but it mm-hmm. empowered me to be able to move on and do other things. So as a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners know, I was able to start a title company, an insurance company, I, of course, this flipping business. And I own a call center now in the Philippines. We're almost up to 100 callers. And so I've been able to do a lot of these other projects that I do put time and energy into because I provide oversight and strategy calls and stuff like that. There's no way an HE double that I could have ever done that had I been working with buyers, agents, and running real, uh, my real estate team 24-7. Gotcha. Okay. So let's elaborate on that on the whole buyer's agent thing just a little bit more because there's a okay. lot of people that want to build teams, aspire to build teams, but they have not let go of the buyers yet or they are their entire team depends on somebody who themselves has not let go of the buyers. In this case, like they, let's say they have a partner agent who's the rainmaker in the team mm-hmm. and they're doing the majority of the sales and a good chunk of that is coming from buyers, which is kind of holding everything back, right? Yep. So so what you're saying that was your mistake was what? So my mindset was that every opportunity that came through, $50,000 buyer, $500,000 buyer, million dollar seller, any opportunity that was attached to a commission check, I needed to be the person to work that deal because I was going to be better than anyone else. I was going to convert it faster than anybody else. And then most importantly, I was going to get to keep all the commission. So I didn't know what would happen if I took that lead and handed it to somebody else and it didn't go together. All that commission's lost. Or let's say it did go together and I now have to split the commission with someone. If I was used to making 200 grand a year and I'm going to give all those leads now to someone else and split the commission, now I'm only going to make half. I'm only going to make $100,000. And my business can't run without that revenue coming in. What I didn't understand was there was a third scenario. And the third scenario at the time when I stopped working with buyers was what if I quit working with buyers and I redeploy all of that time and energy to sellers? If you look at both of those relationships, a buyer typically I've tracked takes about 20 hours of my time from the very beginning of prospecting, getting the lead, working the lead, signing exclusive agency contracts, negotiating a contract, negotiating the home inspection, closing 20 hours. My listings were taking me less than 10 hours from listing pres to getting it under contract to it closing. So I was like, okay, not only does the listing take me half the time, in Omaha, we split listing commission 60-40, where the selling agent keeps 60% and the buyer's agent keeps 40. So I make more money on the listing. I made 3.6% was my average commission on a listing. On the buy side, it was only 2.4%. So I make more money in half the time. So what if in 2011, when we launched our team, I said to myself, what if all the people I hired, I only let them work buyers and I was the only one that could work sellers and every buyer lead I gave them, they owe me 50% and every seller lead they gave me, I pay them 50% because even if I give them 50%, I'm still working half the time It net nets and I make more because it's a listing. There's more commission on a listing. So net net, I'll make more working with their sellers and them working with my buyers. And so that's what I did. So in 2011, 2012, 2013, I just worked sellers and I let all the agents on my team work focus on buyers and they could not list. And I, I found in 2013, 2014, I started to believe again in this mentality of, okay, well, what if I didn't work sellers at all? What if I turned the sellers over to the agents, let them work both sides? And I focused on other businesses. I focused on lead gen. I focused on accountability. I focused on workshops. I focused on all these other businesses. 
could I make more money? And that was actually the biggest risk I ever took because I was at the time I was making about $550,000 a year net. Um, about 330 of it was my listings and about 200 was my real estate team. And so when I made the change, I thought, okay, in 2014, if I don't work sellers or buyers all together, I get out of the selling side and I just focus on building out my business entities. Can I net 550 again? And I took a $75,000 hit. I made about $475,000 when I quit selling, which to me was a huge win to never have to work with a client, exit the real estate business and still make 475. But what was fascinating to me is what happened the next year. I netted over a million dollars for the first time in 2015. So I doubled in 12 months because instead of deploying my time into listing lead generation and facilitating the process of selling a listing, I dedicated my time into helping other people do that very same thing. Help them dedicate their time into listing houses, dedicate their time into working with buyers, dedicate their time into prospecting. I held them accountable and I built the wheel that accomplished that. And I was able to go over a million dollars. And now I've continued to grow ever since then. I've never made less money the year before. I've never made less money than the year before. And so I continue to scale my business today. And I look back 10 years later and I think to myself, well, what, ha- what would have happened if I never worked a buyer? I mean, obviously, I would have lost the experience. So what would have happened if after my first 100 buyers, I quit working? I mean, what would have happened if I stopped working sellers quicker and I added agents quicker? And I, I think that everyone should sell. You should sell at least 100 houses before you think you're going to lead other people. But I sold probably four or 500 houses. And I think that I did too many deals. I didn't need to do that many deals. I probably waited two or three years too long to choose to scale my business out. And so if you need 150 grand to pay your house payment and your car and your trips and your lifestyle... Once your team is generating you that revenue, you can quit selling altogether. You can live off their revenue. But if you redeploy your time to building value for them and helping them be more successful and doing the top three things that help teams grow, which is recruiting, retaining through offering value and finding more ways to offer value and training agents to be successful, if that becomes your life, your team like mine can double overnight. We literally in the last 12 months doubled again. So we started this year with 22 agents. We're at 50 agents today. And next year, my goal is to double again. I want to end 2018 with 100 agents. And we're going to do that because that's what I've intentionally made my goal to be. So instead of worrying about selling houses, which is on a lot of real estate agents' minds, I worry about recruiting agents. I worry about training agents. I worry about creating value through offering Boomtown and Vulcan 7 and Mojo Dialer and a podcast and live stream training so my agents can watch all of my team's trainings from anywhere in the world. That's my focus. And when people talk about sales, I'm like, oh yeah, we sold. We're going to sell 800 houses this year. That's pretty cool. But that just became the result of my passion. My passion isn't selling real estate. There's no fun in selling. I've done that a lot of times. That's not fun. <laughs> that's like uh, really boring, yeah, to I be honest. <laughs> my passion isn't that. And that's no way just passion. Yeah. True agents don't love showing houses and selling houses. That's not our passion. Our passion is providing the customer service solution to taking people through the buying and selling process. But more importantly to me, it's serving my agents to help them be successful at serving their clients and empowering them to build teams within my team so that they don't have to sell it they don't want to. So that's been my war cry is teaching people on my team. I say leaders serve their followers. And to me, the best leaders give all their followers the ability to be just like them. And if you want to help agents be just like you and you've exited the day-to-day sales, which is a very, very small percentage of agents in the country... I never dreamed of being at this level before. I'm so grateful and fortunate to be a part of this process and this network. Thank you for this opportunity. Those are the words that I'm looking for from the people that I lead, not only on my team in Omaha, but agents across the entire country. Yeah, love it. All right, so we've got, let's call it three minutes. So flash forward with me. You and I are having this same conversation on a podcast 
five years from now. Now, granted, it's in virtual reality, and both of us are much better looking. (laughs) (laughs) How could that ever be? Yeah. Uh, So five years from now, you're looking back going, okay, here was the mistake I made in 2017, 2018. What do you think is, what would you, what do you think you would say five years from now? Wow. You got me on this one. This will be a good one. (laughs) Because honestly, anyone in my position is constantly thinking about where are they making their mistakes? Where's their misstep? Mm -hmm. I can share with you some of the areas where I think there might be mistakes and I'm paying attention. One is, am I, Am I continuing to offer the right value to my agents? So I bragged about how we allow, we give, empower them to build teams. And five years from now, do all of those teams leave my team? Because right. I'm not giving them <laughs> right. enough value. So in hindsight, in five years, I'll say, well, helping them build teams was a mistake. <laughs> right. The true mistake I know wasn't helping them build teams. Because I have that belief in me that leaders serve followers and give them the ability to be just like them. Extreme right. the accountability, extreme ownership would say, my mistake was I didn't give them enough value to stay with me. Anytime an agent leaves you, anytime a spouse leaves you, this is going to get real. Anytime you lose a relationship with your kids, with your friends, anytime something leaves your life, it's because you aren't offering value to that relationship. When an agent doesn't show up at my dialogue training, it's 100% my fault that when they went to the last one, they didn't get value out of it. So even this podcast today, I think this might have been someone's first time watching. I have to bring everything I have to offer to the world right now in this moment, because someone will never come back if they come to this today and say, Oh, Matt and Jeff are slump, you know, they're slackers, they suck, they're full of crap, they're too egotistical, whatever their judgment is on us. And so I am very cognizant to be present in every moment. So um, one thing would be with what's the landscape of my team look like? Am I moving the right direction to keep up with what the market demands are from our client perspective? Also with the coaching organization that I'm now a part of, am I scaling that fast enough? Am I offering the right value? Um, are the trainings high enough value that people are going to want to stay on board with live stream? Is it, am I offering enough content? And those are kind of the things. So it's, it's an interesting question that you ask, and I like answering it publicly and being transparent about it. I'm going to take some of the credit for that journey. Obviously, they were the ones that chose to do it, but our knowledge had a positive impact on them. So, right, draw some some satisfaction from that. Yep, I get that. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let's finish with this. Um, so we talked a little bit about all the stuff that you have going on, you know, with elite real estate systems at the top of the show. So we don't want to recap that, but go to elite real estate systems.com just, just to get kind of the overview of everything. And you can find out, you know, different links from there. If you want to go direct to the workshop page, it's jeffsworkshop.com. Uh, and that's how you kind of keep up on the, uh, the latest dates and all the information on there. And there's an overview video. So if you're curious about how that works, you can do that. So yeah, this has been awesome. So I think we covered everything. The one thing that we didn't get a chance to get super deep into that maybe we'll cover and, and dedicate a whole other episode towards it is the, uh, the time, you know, and counterbalancing and yeah, putting the time into the right place and, and just how, how much do you really need to put in the business? to get to push the rock up the hill because uh, that's a really interesting conversation because there, interesting. there is a balance between yes you need to work hard enough at the right things and most agents when they do work hard they work hard on the wrong things they work hard on the easy things the paperwork the operations the customer yeah. service and they don't they don't focus on the hard stuff but i do think you're right if you if you really are good at following the one thing and you're really good at putting the right amount of time and effort into the one thing that pulls everything else forward, I think you can have a much more balanced life while you build a business. I absolutely think you're correct on that. And I think about the other areas of my life where I have struggled. You know, I've always had, I've struggled with my, my body. 
I haven't put enough time and energy in my mind towards my physical body. And there's a lot of examples like that with your personal relationships, with your spiritual well-being. I mean, there's a lot of different areas you can think about. But don't think you need to spend as much time on those things as maybe you spend on your business to make them successful. For those that haven't read the one thing, just spend enough time to be successful at it. And it comes back to Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, where he talks about how oftentimes 20% of people's output gets them 80% of the return. So if you look at a realtor's time, it's 20% of the activities that they do are, that are actually driving income to them. And so be yeah. cognizant in your other areas of your life, what is actually giving you the result and be realistic and honest with yourself as you analyze, as you self-actualize. And I think the biggest mistake people make is that they're not honest with themselves. Maybe they don't even have the ability to self-actualize when it comes to how they're treating their relationships or how they're treating their bodies or their spirituality or spiritual well-being or their businesses. And when you talk to an agent that doesn't have a business plan but says they want to sell 200 houses, they're being mentally weak. And someone needs to challenge them and say, you are choosing to not scale your business by not creating a business plan. And that's what I want to share with anyone listening today. The result that you are expecting needs to have an inspection element. And if you can't inspect a day-to-day, weekly goal, monthly goal, and you don't have an action plan set, you will not obtain the result. We do 100% money-back guarantee. No one has ever asked for their money back. So come hang out with us in Omaha. It starts getting cold like November, December. So if you're going to do it, do it like October, November. I'll try to Mm -hmm. dance for some nice weather in November. And then live stream is pretty amazing. If you go to erslivestream.com, check it out. $4.97 a month. Right now, that gives you up to 30 seats. So if you were a team of 30, you can have, everyone has a seat. Um, we're actually in conversation right now, moving that to 10 seats for the 497. So if you sign up right now, you're still going to get 30 seats grandfathered in. And that's a one-year contract with us, which gives you all sorts of other stuff that we didn't even get into today. So go check it out on the website, learn a little bit more about it at erslivestream.com. Matt, like always, it's a pleasure, brother. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of fun. A very special episode of the Team Building very Podcast. Very special, intimate, <laughs> intimate episode. Jeff Cohn oh, exposed. That's enough of that. All right, guys, we are out of time. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs>